All right, we're good to go. All right, so uh, I'm actually even even though we kind of did this, I felt like we were punting a little bit on this by having a topic of just like read any good books lately. But um, <laughs> uh, then there were a lot of really good replies, and I actually I'm I'm actually really excited to talk about um, the, the various books. I've been meeting Adam to put together like a software engineers reader for a long time of books that I that have been meaningful for me over my career. So we could be going through a lot of books today. I'm just going right. to warn people. And, and you were talking about Twitter spaces and your, uh, your unending RFE request. And I think that that also um, it's our intention to lean into what they're giving us here. I think that most of the spaces I've listened to have been two talkers and maybe a guest or whatever. So it would be great to get folks cycling through. Absolutely. want to hear uh, other great recommendations. Um, we are going to hit uh, two little mental divots of mine, um, two, two little, uh, little mental problems of mine. Uh, one, so Adam, I mean, you and I have known one another for a very long time. So I'm almost certain I have dragged you through my issues with highlighting. I don't. I mean, <laughs> are you? Like I, are other you, people highlight. I mean, I I know that other people have highlighted your books, which is outrageous. This is what I'm talking about. I mean, so you know my position on highlighting books, on defacing books, really, which is what. what, what, what. I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you 100. percent Like, <laughs> except, and I think we shared on this one. Uh, the only times I've underlined or highlighted or commented in books is when. I've passed the point where I've decided the book was trash and that, that I, w- I wasn't defacing it. I was improving it by leaving my comments in the market. <laughs> so you were like, it was a rebuttal as far as you were concerned. Kind of. I mean, and I know that I feel like I'm bringing us to Hadi and the Nadi already from your Ishtar, but like, you know, with, uh, with uh, How to Castrate a Bull is a, is oh, a book. Oh, Jesus. A terrible book. we're starting? Yeah, I got to start there, right? We're starting uh, with the anti list. All right, just, let's just, just get it out. Let's get that, it done. That's, but that's a place where you know where leaving notes to the future reader help them know. No, it's not just you. It's not just you. You're not. You're not the crazy one. It's the book that's crazy. Well, I'm sure that that future scholars will pore over your copy of From Zero to One like they're studying the <laughs> Talmud. With great interest, I'm sure. <laughs> great interest <laughs> to understand that this actually. It may have it may have reflected a prevailing zeitgeist, but there was at least one counter opinion <laughs> from whomever right. possessed this book, and it's right. angry margin notes. No, so I am reading, honestly, one of I, I a book that I cannot recommend highly enough. So I don't know if you. This is a book that Rick Alther, our coworker, recommended to me, and he was giving me a hard time because he first of all he made a mistake. He recommended it in an all hands. He dropped it into the chat without having secured his own copy. That's a rookie mistake. And if I go and buy your copy after – if I buy the copy that you've been looking at because you've dropped it into the chat, like that's not on me. That's what I'd like to say first. Fair. fair. Okay. So this is The Inventor's Dilemma, The Remarkable Life of, of H. Joseph Gerber. So Ger- for those who – if you've got any proximity to hardware – um, Gerber's are the, are what you actually send for fabrication. And, uh, I didn't realize that that was named after a person. Um, and Joseph Gerber is an incredibly interesting person. Did, Adam, do you know anything about this book? No, not at all. I, I know that you own the last copy manufactured. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the end of my knowledge. Right? I think I own the last copy that you can find for three ninety nine on Amazon. I think that that's. <laughs> I, I think that one has to spend like an extra buck to get the. To, well, the, um, but 
the so this is a marvelous book. I did buy it used. I was punished for sniping Rick's copy because the previous owner is the world's biggest jackass. I don't know who this person is, but they are highlighting all of like the wrong passages and they're relieving margin notes that are just inane, that are just ridiculously bad. <laughs> so, the, the, and so I'm like, I'm being, you can imagine like if, and, and indeed Adam, if you have orchestrated this, once again, <laughs> this is an act of sheer genius if you pull this off. Yeah, yeah. 15 years ago, I said to myself. <laughs> That's right. Because let me tell you, it feels that good. It feels like this, is, this, is, this book has been sent to actually troll me. Because the, but the book itself is incredibly good. And so Gerber, who is a wildly inventive guy... Uh, invents indeed the the format that, that bears his name and the um, but also revolutionizes um, the apparel industry um, with automation and uh, it does basically the first real plotters um, the the photo plotter is what bears his name They're taking an actual uh, using an actual computer generated image and putting that on um, using that as, for PCB manufacturing um, incredibly interesting book and. And all the more so, it's actually, it's written by his son, which normally would be like, I, I, it would be, but this person is, is, it is well-written. So it's forgiven that it's written by a family member. Um, and the, in particular though, he grows up in Nazi occupied Vienna and escape. he's Jewish and escapes the first six chapters in, consist of, of his family's escape from Europe and holy shit. I mean, it is just, I, I mean, it's. incredibly vivid, terrifying account. Um, But he basically gets to the U.S. and and that very much like structures the way he thinks of his career in life. And it is an amazing read. So this is my... Albeit with the caveat that you should not read my copy because the inane (laughs) inane margin notes are terrible. Um, But it's it's an outstanding book and you and everyone I think would really like it a lot. So that awesome. This is my first recommendation. I've got no idea what format we're going to go for here, but I'm just going to throw out my. This is my first, I don't know if you want to go Ron, 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 Ron Robin or what, but well, do we do we want to let folks kind of uh, put their hand up, um, volunteer to speak, talk about yeah, something I saw, that they read or listened to? Yeah, so I think we should go Ron Robin. So that's mine. So whoever is next, go with a podcast or book that. That you, maybe documentary that you've read that's been meaningful to you, maybe recently, maybe not so recently. Um, one thing I've been, definitely been trying to do in the in the, the the pandemic that has worked for me is using that commute time for reading. The commute time that I no longer have to spend, make sure that I'm spending that reading. So I would encourage everyone to do that. And hopefully, other people have been doing the same. It's been very good for my own mental health. But um, yes, Adam, do you want to go next? And then we'll get, then we'll get other folks in here. You know. Um... I, you know, this is a little bit divisive uh, because I think I recommend this to you and um, I don't think you loved it, but there, there's this book drift into failure and it mm. describes a variety of disasters and how they're, they're, uh, the response to many of these disasters is to find the broken component or the broken part or the broken process, or the broken person and, and repair it or fire them or whatever. Um, when in fact, often these uh, failures are 
a result of like a cacophony of failure or, or this drifting into failure where a, a small change to a maintenance schedule kind of changed slowly over time to the point where it dramatically diverged from the, the initial intention. And that initial intention got lost along the way. And this is everything from uh, aircraft disasters, which I know are a favorite of yours, Brian, um, to things like medical failures where uh, the wrong medication was given um, you know, intravenously where many bypasses or, or pardon me, when he's, many safeguards had been bypassed. So I, I found it a really interesting read in particular, as it applies to obviously our domain um, and thinking about, um, you know, building a culture that inculcates safety and, and correctness and robustness um, and also focusing on how, or navigating towards how we f- like find the broken pieces but but don't stop there. But find the the broken processes to surround them and the and the broken aspects of culture. I've read so, some of that book at your urging. Uh, oh yeah. And I, <laughs> no, can you no remind? Is this? Do they use the phrase normalization of deviance in that book, or are they just oh, describing no, it's been, the concept? It's been a little while. I can't I can't remember that that specific turn of phrase. Okay. but it's been a few years. But I feel like that's it. what the book is about, though. A, a lot of it. I think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I struggled with the book because he really picks on aviation, which I think is which is strange to me because aviation is so it has is so safe relative to everything else. Um, so that was the and I, I I maybe need to give that book another shot. Um, I I could not. I, and maybe you just need to skip over the aviation bits. No, um, I, you know, and I think like many of these uh, sort of, I don't know, kind of popularized science books, it, it may draw, you know, focus too heavily. And, and you know, um, the incompleteness of the analysis of some of these examples can certainly undermine it for folks more familiar with the, with the you know, exigencies of the case. Well, so I actually got a, a little bit of a different hypothesis. So it's by Sidney Decker, and I would like to know how old the author is, because one thing I think is possible is aviation was has become much more. Yes, he's older than I am; he's fifty-two. It has become much safer over my lifetime, and it, it, I do wonder if it, it's. Um, if, if it's reflecting kind of an older view of it, I mean, because it used to be that it, certainly when I was a kid, there were, um, and actually there's, a, there's another book I'd recommend on during a low point of aviation. Um, I guess I'm, I'm more cheating on our own game now, but the, the rise and the fall of the DC 10, have you, have you read that? I no, I haven't. Um, very good. And that I think represents like aviation at the age that he's kind of referring to aviation, which is like an era age where it did feel like there was a lot more, that was not understood, and you had like the you had these major aircraft disasters on a regular basis, and a lot of problems, and there were engineering problems, and there were people problems, and there was cascading failure, and da 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 da. da. Um, but so yeah, I think Sidney Dicker, I think it deserves another shot for me. I, I will say I, he he is an odd guy. I had the opportunity to meet him. Um, he was supposed to give the keynote at a conference, but <laughs> blew it off because he had an opportunity to like pilot one of the San Francisco Bay ferries totally illegally, but like the pilot was willing to like hand over the controls to him. And he felt like that was, um, too tempting okay. an offer. To, okay. to, to, wait, to... wait, uh, wait a fucking minute. Wait, uh, are you, 
Are you kidding me? Nope, nope. And then so the okay. conference reorganized the schedule, and he spoke the next day. Okay, but no, it's not just the conference. It's not just the conference. You wrote a book on drift <laughs> called Drift into Failure. Drift, literal drift. Yeah. Literal drift into failure, admonishing people for, uh, for, for taking safety-critical systems lightly. And then you were permitted to illegally pilot watercraft? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, you're saying it's a little, a little on the nose, I guess. <laughs> it's a little on the nose. It's uh, a little on the nose. And what's the, I, what's the um, Josh? What, what, what was the oil freighter that 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 bonked into the Bay Bridge? The um, it wasn't Costco, but I feel like close. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Or is this one of these things where I just sound crazy? No, I, I, I know think I think about. that happened. Um. Anyway, all right. Well, okay, so. So that's my controversial pick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Who's next? Who's got a, who's got a, maybe, maybe a less controversial recommendation. I don't know. I've I've got one. Tom, I knew you were good for it. Well, first I have to have a disclaimer that I I have a very high tolerance for poorly written books, but, but I like things which have, you know, random facts and figures. I think it comes from spending too much time with IBM manuals. But uh, the book I want to recommend is The Invention That Changed the World. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, it's all about uh, MIT Rad Lab, the radiation laboratory, and the development and perfection of radar and all the other technologies that spun out of that, all this high-frequency electronics. Adam, have you read this? No, never. Oh, it's an outstanding book. I actually think, Tom, you're selling it short a little bit. I think it's actually... I think that maybe my God is my. Well, I, I'm not implying this book is poorly written. But... <laughs> okay, yeah, because I think the book is. Pretty... But I don't. So, I don't exactly remember. So the book remember. is in the Sloan Technology series, and I would recommend just about every book in that series. It is uh, Tom. I don't know. Have you read any of the other books in that series? Uh, I don't think so. So this is um, um, the uh, Atomic Sun. Uh, they're making the atomic bomb. Uh, Dark Sun about the um, th- that one I could that's on the hydrogen bomb I couldn't quite I, it was just too dark um, the um, and then uh, Crystal Fire um, one one my uh, one of my favorites Dream Reaper by Craig Canine about the bicombine rotor about mm-hmm. agricultural technology and then the the invention that changed the world uh, Tube on television um, there are a bunch of good ones I love that book Tom I yeah. th- are there anything any things that stick with you from from that book in particular. Oh, it's been a while, but yeah, just the whole context of World War II, and then all these famous names of people involved this way and the other, and it's all all this stuff which is critical to the development of the electronics for computers, but really nothing yes. to do with computers per se. Yeah, and I just think I mean that book, Tom, was one of the ones that really sharpened for me how much World War II. I mean, there was World War II is a bottomless pit of history, but yeah. there there is so much technological history in World War II. And the story of World War II is so much a technological story. I mean, it's many different stories, but that's a big piece of it. And radar, I mean, radar won the war, just for, yeah. <laughs> for those well, who are... Spoiler. Spoiler then, alert. After, after the war, the, the Rad Lab published this 28-volume set uh, describing all this technology they developed. And they, these are really interesting reads because if you know nothing about some field like microwaves, 
you could read this book and it starts you at ground zero and and takes you way up the curve. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. You know, unlike it, mo modern texts, you so often dive in and you're expected to know too much already. That is really interesting. Yeah, because it's also written at a time when they're having to ramp everybody up. Um, right, right. And Tom, do you remember also when they were uh, they were they're at MIT developing radar and they can't figure out why it's less effective on humid days? If I'm remembering this correctly, I'm not sure if I'm remembering this anecdote exactly correctly. But they uh -huh. basically discover NMR as part of this, they discovered that like, oh shit, there's water, there, there are water molecules that are actually absorbing these certain wavelengths. Right. And, right. and then we can actually turn that around and use that diagnostically. It's basically the birth of, of NMR and MRI um, as, as and well as microwave ovens and microwave ovens. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like I can't remember if it was that book. I mean, immediately like I'm a clumsy person and I'm going to injure myself. So I should not take things apart anyway, but God, do not take apart your microwave oven. Yeah, that that motherfucker will kill you. And they have all, um, these, all these cool names for things like klystron, right? It's like, <laughs> right, right, right. I'm still not uh, sure what that is. There's a cool. there's a cool book if if you folks are interested in this called Big Science, which is kind of talking about the same history, <clears throat> but from the perspective of um, uh, Ernest Lawrence, who you know he was worked with Robert Oppenheimer, and kind of it was all about how. Um, you know, they built cyclotrons and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and an aspect of that was also the nuclear medicine, radiation therapy. Interesting. And sorry, what was that? Something that was called? Uh, the, book, the book is called Big Science. It has Big a Science, subtitle. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, the beginning of the military industrial complex and how that came out of the war. Interesting. All right, good one. All right, Tom, that's a great recommendation. And I and I think that's an entree to that whole series. All right, who's next? Who's got, who's got another good one? I, I have a little story. Um, I've been reading Skunk Works. Oh, another favorite. Great book, yeah, favorite. Yeah, the memoirs of uh, Lockheed Engineer slash Chief Executive Bill Rich. So this book um, has, on the, the cover of this book has a quote from Tom Clancy promoting it on the front of it. Um, so Lockheed's Skunk Works built a U-2, which is, which is a top secret spy plane commissioned by the CIA to penetrate Russian secrecy. Um, it flew at 80,000 feet. I made some tiny notes, if you can't tell. Um, three big lenses had enough film to read every license plate from Pakistan to Moscow. So in this book, there's an excerpt from a CIA, from a CIA pilot telling a story so improbable. I don't think Tom Clancy himself could have uh, pulled it off in one of his novels. So the Soviets are struggling to stop these planes, these, these pictures being taken over Russia. They send up MiG fighters, but their engines flame out. They, they fall out of the sky like 15,000 feet too low to even intercept. So on this flight, the pilot is James, oh boy, uh, James Sherbineau. I apologize for that. So the pilot sees a nuclear bomb perched at the top of a high tower, looks just like Trinity test. He panics. No one's chasing him. Is it an ambush? Are the Soviets desperate enough to stop him that they'll nuke their own country to bring down a U-2? So he passes directly over the tower. His cameras are whirring. He gets to safety. 
He files his reports, and it's the next day before he hears the intelligence. It was a secret nuclear test that no one knew about and the world's biggest coincidence. It exploded less than two hours after he flew overhead. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> the Russians didn't even know they were there when oh. they triggered the bomb. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding and a coincidence, which, again, even Tom Clancy couldn't pull off, I don't think. Yeah, so Tim, it sounds like you're, are you reading it now or you did, you read it recently, it sounds like? Uh, I finished it a couple months ago. Yeah, so, and so Ben Rich um, they, they took over... Scott, took over the Skunk Works from Clarence Kelly Johnson, yes. um, and it's a mesmerizing read. It's so good. It is. I feel it's it's in the first of a small number of books that I asked my coworkers to read. And Adam, I mean, you. We obviously. I think we all read it together, right? Yeah, and, we all read it together. I mean, it was, we we uh, the the Fishworks project at Sun was was very much modeled on a lot of aspects of that Skunk Works. Well, and in particular, I feel the thing that was so amazing about that is in Silicon Valley, we had this idea that a skunk works was something that was done without management authorization. It was done kind of on the sly. It was done kind of in the spare time. And that's kind of the definition that I had had. It's just an accepted definition. And in reading Ben Rich's book, you realize like, no, that wasn't it at all. And Clarence Kelly Johnson actually had authorization from the CEO of Lockheed and had set up this division to do uh, to work on these these military aircraft, and the condition was that he had to spend two thirds of his time still on I think it was two thirds right on the commercial side. I could only spend a third on the military side, but it was very much done with management's authorization, which is so, part of so what. Did, did you know the the NSE project at Sun was a Skunk Works thing like that? So it, okay, so th- th- Tom, you should explain NSE. I actually want to. This is something that actually should have a book written on it. So um, I, I, yeah. I am increasingly believing that this is a big gap in our understanding of history. Do you, but can you explain NSE? Okay, so NSE was a network software environment, and it was a you know distributed software environment, you know thing for for developers, and uh, it was spun up as a skunk works to get going quickly because Apollo had a much better uh, system. I think they call it DSE. Or maybe that was hmm. I don't know. Um, and and so for big software projects, you know, Apollo was still very, very much kicking Sun's ass in, in many ways. But uh, but the NSE was started up uh, with John Fiber, who went on to become venture capitalist. But he, he and I were good buddies, and I I was on the team, but we were we were set up in a separate office at Menlo Park, and the uh, the sign on the door said Earth Tone Peanut Butter Warehouse. <laughs> Is that okay, so many follow up questions. Was that in was <laughs> no, that in no. earnest? I, first of all, Earth Tone Peanut Butter Warehouse feel I mean this just makes me long for the seventies. I feel like I can almost draw the logo. I mean I just feel yeah. like it's yeah. I got yeah. like the free to be you and me record playing in the background as I see the the Earth the Earth Tone Peanut Butter Warehouse. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was just silly. But uh so NS, the reason point. I think this is so important is that NSE is the what great 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 grandfather of Git or grandmother of Git the the the, the ancestor of Git. So NSE began. If I recall life. from your fork, one of your talks, I think maybe it was the fork yeah talk. You said NSE begat NSE Lite, which was uh, which was one of which which was one of Larry McVoy's projects, and then 
he he went on to do Bitkeeper and then Bitkeeper begat Git. And am I missing a step or two? No, that's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. So and and I think so, it's a in reading some of these books like Showstopper and so on of of software development in the '90s, boy. The the bring over modify merge model is so important to the history of software development. It is a very 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 important development. Yeah. So so, I I was never the guy behind you know big software, um, but I I contributed. Two two projects came out of that that were much lower level. One is the auto mounter, uh, came from that project. Oh wow. And the other, and the other was the uh, translucent file system. Right, TFS, yeah. Which is the granddaddy of the overlay file system, which is Docker files. Right, 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 exactly. So. All right, well, Tim, very evocative book, obviously, for a lot of us, and that's a, that is a, that's a must-read, I have to say. Folks have not read uh, Skunk Works. It, there are so many great anecdotes. Yeah. I had actually totally forgotten about the anecdote you, you mentioned. I'm not even sure what the lesson is from that, but I've never heard that story <laughs> anywhere else, and I don't know why. It's such an amazing, action-packed story, and it's just, like, not even a chapter. It's, like, two oh, pages. It, it's right. I feel of this book. It, well, and I feel like that is that book. I feel like, like an amazing, jaw-dropping thing happens once per page in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did... Uh, I mean, the aircraft they, they built... The, the U2, the SR-71, the F-117A are, I mean, some of those amazing aircraft, the most innovative aircraft ever built. One of the key things, the key lessons I took from that book was in these innovative aircraft, in these aircraft that were literally doing things that no one had done before, they were also using components from all these other aircraft. They were focusing on, say, the stealth technology in the SR-71, but then getting the avionics from one plane and the landing gear from another plane and really focusing on the unique properties of that plane, which, which I thought was a great lesson for startups everywhere. Yeah, we. I remember Adam. I remember we really grasped onto that. They used the cockpit, I think, of the F one eleven A in the SR seventy one, something like that, if I remember correctly. And yeah. and because they didn't want to innovate in avionics, it's like no, this is not like avionics. We want to take like off the shelf avionics because where sure. we're innovating is in the airframe and the vents. I remember that. Like, there's so much about the SR seventy one. Yeah, just amazing. And, you know, you know, and my my dad is like cuckoo for the SR seventy one, and I always thought it was a little bit like, all right, just like tone it down. And then I I saw one of the last SR seventy ones um, at Dryden Flight Research Center. It was just like sitting in a hangar as we were kind of walking between meeting rooms. It's like we're walking between meeting rooms with the customer. And you're like, holy shit, that's an SR seventy one. It really is an amazing aircraft. That thing is just unbelievable. Yeah, they they have one on that aircraft carrier in New York. So you, anyone can go see it. I'll, I'll have to put that on the list. All right, who's got a, who else has got a book? Yeah. Matt, go ahead. Um, the Friendly Orange Glow. And uh, I, I, know that, uh, I know that you guys have talked about that before. And in fact, I read it on based on your uh, recommendation uh, during the, the space that we did about a month ago. Um, but... Uh, yeah. Um, now, I, I admit I have not yet read or rather listened to um, all of part three. Um, but uh, once I got to part three, I was like, okay, the chapter about Brody Lockard must be in here. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> um, well, I look forward to you getting to that chapter, are you? But you're liking it so far. Oh, I skipped. Uh, I, I skipped to the uh, I skipped ahead to that chapter. <laughs> um 
but uh yeah one one of the things that really stuck with me from that book was just how much uh just how much you know research uh from from things as varied as arpa and nasa and educational research in research into education was was uh spurred by the uh, the sputnik launch in 1957 because if you recall from chapter two that was uh that was where it all started and yeah it, it is it's amazing the motivator that, i mean boy fear is a dangerously powerful motivator but it, it can have positive outcomes i guess yeah um but uh yes i i enjoy um yes i enjoyed uh i enjoyed what i've what i've read of the book so far i mean i i did read all the way through parts one and two the uh, part one about the the development of plato itself and then yeah, part two about the the community it's so so many yeah many things were yeah pioneered in that online community yeah online forums real-time chat multiplayer games um just the whole on um, yeah online community they they had it all in the 70s in that well in that small relatively small community so yeah um i uh yeah i i enjoyed it um i i would also admit i don't know what your take is i also think that book is it is well written and it is a clear it's very well researched and it's a clear uh-huh. like labor of love clearly this is not something that is like this is, I mean, God, and it's, I think he first started gathering material for it, like in the eighties. Um, but it, but it is, it's a, it's a really, really good book. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously he wasn't, he wasn't capitalizing on, you know, cashing in on, on some, on a fad or anything. He was, he, he researched it because he, he loved, uh, Plato. Um, and, yeah. So, the, sorry, I don't really have much more to say about it. No, not at all. That's all right. You know, and I and thank you by the way for agreeing with our recommendation without saying actually. Like actually, you're right. Like you don't have to say actually. You don't have to sound surprised. It was good. And Adam, you've not yet read the Final of the Orange Glow, right? No, no. I'm I'm like a book back. I'm still on uh, the the next book on the Steve Jobs and the Next Big Thing. How good is that? It's, it's it's astounding actually and i mean i i felt like i couldn't recommend a book we had already recommended but like man that book is fascinating and and really reveals steve jobs like a totally false prophet and uh yeah so, I, I, I just finished that too based on your guys's recommendation yeah, yeah tom what? what'd you think what an asshole that guy was <laughs> <laughs> i mean but asshole is 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 too reductive in a way because 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 it it um it denies the the sort of self-imposed ignorance that he had the and, and uh it, because yeah. it it wasn't enough to to be right it was being wrong and still insisting in being right uh across the board and and forcing this cognitive dissonance on all the folks around him it's really astounding it is so right, Tom, I got to ask you because I was struck by the history of sun in that book that's the thing I was totally unprepared for that I thought was very interesting um, what was your take on the history of Sun in the next book? Oh, it was good. I mean, I I didn't see anything stand out as you know wrong or anything. Well, that's that's high praise. That's the. Yeah. I mean, so. but the 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 detail that he goes into about Sun, and then says something yeah. along the lines of, 
Well, you know, but some stories never going to be written because these weren't self-aggrandizing guys. They were just folks who built the fastest growing computer company of all time. <laughs> it's just like Tom Lyon. He's too nice a guy. That's oh, the- man. There needs to be a book about Andy Bechtelsheim. There does need to be a book about Andy Bechtelsheim. I agree with that. Unbelievable. Strange. Yeah. I, I do agree with that, actually, Tom. That's a very good point. That, like, in terms of, I guess, I haven't kind of think about like what are the biographies waiting to be written, and God, I hope the, I just hope that Andy has kept stuff, because that's the if he's kept stuff, the biography can be written. If he if he is been, okay. I think. Speaking of kept stuff, so I have I have another recommendation from the Sputnik era. Oh, go for it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Makers of the Microchip. It's a history of Fairchild. Oh. And, and I got it thinking, okay, this will be a nice light read. And no, I haven't really attempted it yet, but it's, it's a serious <laughs> book. And it's chock full of copies of the engineering notes from Jay Last, who was one of the traitorous oh. eight at Fairchild. Oh, nice. that sounds so, good. They lay out these pages from his document, and they go over what it all meant, and blah blah blah. And he wrote the whole foreword for it, and so it looks really intense. So, Tom, if I can make you know, you read one of our recommendations in terms of Steve Jobs and the next big thing. If I can recommend one of your the recommendations you made to me on the book on data point, that I. Data Point by Lamont Wood, the lost story of the Texans who invented the personal computing revolution. I thought that I really enjoyed that book. That is does not sound nearly as heavy Didn't as the Data Point. Does basically design the instruction set of the Intel eight thousand eight. That is more or less. Yeah, no, you, this book has a slight angle in that. That's definitely the claim of this book. But um, they are indisputably there at the dawn of the of the forty oh four and the eighty oh eight, and they definitely influence it for sure. Yeah, the other the other book from that era, I, I posted on Twitter was the the book about Wang. Uh, was this is this riding the runaway the runaway horse? Yeah, yeah. So that Ooh, was that's good. A, that's another yeah. one that's okay. I I said that we were going to hit two of my issues, Adam. One of which is the book highlighting. <laughs> the other is that I we in our last move. I made a huge mistake in that I did not physically move every box of books myself in that I, I outsourced this to one of my children. And one of my boxes of books has gone missing. And I, I know I sound like I, I, I sound like I'm paranoid around the house because I like another book will occur to me that's in the missing box of books. Uh, I and also that, like the one of my children moved it and now it's missing. Look, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm blaming all three of them. <laughs> That's true. They they can all share the blame, and I and it also would not be beyond them. It is not entirely conceivable that they're like, let's actually stash one of Dad's books and just let's stash one of the boxes and just hey, like watch go. him go slowly insane. Do you feel? The, do you bo- feel the, bo- the books right? are the children. The books are the children, and the other children <laughs> are jealous. <laughs> it, that is true. That is that is what it is, Tom. It is what it is. They, they're 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 angry at the baby. <laughs> it's like, look, they, I've got, I can love all my children. My, my love is large enough to expand my bookshelf. Okay, children, I can love you and the books. You don't make dad choose, please. Because dad is missing his biography on Wang, which is a cherished possession. But the Wang, uh, the, the Wang book is a tragedy because, oh man, the, the guy was so obsessed with building the company and leaving it to his son. 
and his son didn't really want it. And that's not how America worked anyway, but it was a very Chinese thing. And, uh, yeah. And I mean, that and Wang is kind of, because Wang and Prime, I feel like there are kind of a handful of these that are kind of the, 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 the last of the 128 greats. Um, but, but Wang was the hottest company ever for a while, even though I, I never actually saw one of their products. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel like I, I saw a lot of the terminals going up, but I um, never actually used them. The book was good, though. And he, uh, uh, you know, he was one of the, the guys who made core memory work back in MIT. And uh, he and uh, Ken Olson both, both worked on core memory, and then they went off and started their companies. That's another book that's in the missing box is Deck is Dead, Long Live Deck, which I haven't yeah, even read yeah. yet. That's and I one. and I can't bring myself to buy another copy because I know it's in the missing box that the children have misplaced. <laughs> Ian, I saw you were unmuting yourself there. Yeah, uh, I have a, a recommendation for the group. Um, there's a book that was released this year called Built to Fail, The Inside Story of Blockbuster's Inevitable Bust which uh, is a very well-written take by a longtime franchisee of Blockbuster, of his view of, from the inside as to why he believes the company failed um, through a series of management changes and a complete uh, failure to uh, recognize the inventory management problem in front of them. Um, the company kind of was built as this... Uh, mechanism by which to build blockbuster stores and once it had built sufficient blockbuster stores they hadn't really worked out how to pivot into like managing them successfully uh it's a very good read that sounds good yeah i i think i may have seen it but i've not read it and it's certainly a uh, a fascinating story i feel like you know and I'm, I'm sure I know plenty of people on this call have been to a blockbuster, but we are a dying breed. They're not making any more of us. And at some point, you know, I don't know if you're ever trying to to tell my kids what we would go through to uh, rent a movie, just sounds um, well. I just want to. I don't spend a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, are you? I don't know that. So sorry if you're asking that question earnestly. Interesting. The, the uh, blockbuster was a very large chain of video rental stores in the U.S. In a video is a thing that used to come on physical media. <laughs> and physical media was something that you would... God, it's like, it's just... That's right. Okay, that, that one I do. <laughs> be kind, please rewind. That, uh, be kind, please rewind. Yes. So Yeah, the uh, other thing that was kind of interesting in that that I didn't know, because I did grow up with Blockbuster, but I was not young enough for this era of, of the medium. Um, VHS tapes in the early days were extraordinarily expensive and that's why rental took off was um like a, a single copy would be in the you know 60 to 80 dollar range yeah um so it made sense to, to rent it whereas you know the ship to dvd meant that purchasing a copy was on the you know 20 dollar range and uh renting did not make as much sense um but this is also part of that like inventory management problem that i was referring to that's really interesting yeah the well, it, um it, even with VHS tapes, you know, the Hollywood was still really concerned about multiple watches, right? So they were always trying to figure out how to monetize, you know. Okay, so here's each, a question. Each view. Yeah, right. Here's a question. Is there a book on VHS versus beta? 
it feels like we use that so frequently as metaphor. Yeah. And I would like to actually know the facts of that. Um, Betamax know. being another rival format by Sony, supposedly better. The, so I actually kind of ran that to ground once just because I was curious. The Wikipedia articles are actually pretty good. The thing is that VHS, you know, pretty much caught up to and then eclipsed beta pretty rapidly. But beta had better image quality or something at the beginning. That was kind of beta's, you know, thing. There's no beating well, yeah. on narrower tape. It's it's physically less bandwidth. The beta is or VHS? Uh, VHS, it's a, it's a narrower tape. Oh, interesting. And then there was the, the Laserdisc as well, which is roughly contemporaneous, but Laserdisc had to be flipped halfway through the movie. Laserdisc could only store about an hour of content, which kind of, I think, killed it for her. <laughs> it's definitely you gotta, a mood killer. you got to change reels at the cinema. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's right. I can't bring myself to give away my, my few remaining Laserdiscs, even though I haven't had a working <laughs> player for 20 years. Like me and LP. Tom, what do you... What do you have on Laserdisc? I'm dying to know. Oh, what was it? Lawrence of Arabia. That must have been like 13 like, discs. I mean, yeah, that, that was not was, a short movie, right? It was several. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't remember, but they were they were expensive, right? So who knows? Uh, yeah, so you actually had a Laserdisc player. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that's fancy stuff. Speaking of movies... Hey, when... when when I bought my house, it came with a projector in the basement. The guy had it set up as a video cave. And we're talking about 30 years ago, and projectors were uh, really unknown, especially for, for movie quality. So and the thing weighs about 300 pounds, and I've never been able to get it out of the basement. <laughs> so it's still there. Not that you yeah. haven't wanted to, just that you can't. <laughs> right. I mean... Tom, this whole pandemic is over. I think you need to invite us all over to watch Lawrence of Arabia. I think that's the only that's the, I mean, that's the only answer. Yeah, somebody has to bring the Laserdisc player. <laughs> that's right. Hey. Yeah, that's right. We're missing one thing. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I have a Laserdisc player, and uh, I'll, I'll do you one better. I have a signed copy of Hackers by Penn Jillette. <laughs> wow. Ooh, Mr. The you have a signed copy of, oh, hack, of uh, Hackers. The, I think you were saying actually Hackers, the book by Stephen Levy, which is also very good. No, 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 no. The, the film. Yeah, the, the film. The one with spandex and rollerblades. <laughs> spandex and rollerblades, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually have a, a book recommendation that's a little bit out of the, out of the norm for this, for this group. Um, so my formal educational background is in mathematics. Um, I never studied CS. In fact, like looking at the algorithms that CS guys get into, um, I'm actually rather enamored by the fact that they're all less than quadratic time. Um, so you've seen a proof in a, in a paper, right? Where you've got the little, little square at the end um, named after a mathematician by the name of Paul Halmos. He wrote a, what he called an automathography in 1985. And that is probably one of the only books that I've ever wanted to read cover to cover and never let down written by a mathematician. And what he does in this book is he sort of recounts his, uh, his immigration to the U.S. from Hungary and, like, goes back and, and, and says, hey, so this whole mathematician thing is actually kind of an accident on my part. And I originally did chemical engineering, and, uh, and he goes through, like, um, 
what math with math, mathematics departments are like with um, you know second rate talent um, attracting third rate talent and uh, sort of building a good organization within the math department. And it's actually sort of a relevant read for this group because there's a lot of leadership and a lot of sort of like ideation that goes on. And this book goes through a lot of what his process was like. That sounds interesting. Certainly. So we, uh, this is in 1985. So yes. he is going to be of like the Paul Erdős vintage then. Of, I mean, because there is something in the water in Hungary in like the 1920s. <laughs> So it's it's funny that you mentioned that. There's a so I, there's a whole group of hung, um, of Hungarians who are collectively called the Martians, um, right? Because they, right. they 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 come they come from this this foreign land. They speak this inscrutable language, um, and this is actually sort of a moniker that they have uh, that they've all adopted. So like von Neumann, um, Erdős, and um, uh, Halmas. Halmas in in this automathography, by the way, says that no. Don't call me Halmash. Call me Halmas. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so yeah, he, he sort of he sort of like sheds the Hungarian pronunciation of his last name. It's just kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good read. I I was quite fond of it when I was um, when I was working on my master's coursework at SIU, and um, it was one of those things that sort of stuck with me as I sort of made the transition away from mathematics into um, you know being a, a industrial technologist. And um, I, I found a lot of insight in that. Have you, I have to ask if you've read The Man Who Loved Only Numbers about Paul Erdős. Uh, by Paul Erdős, I have no, Not yet. by Paul Erdős, about Paul, uh, the biography of, of, of Paul Erdős. Right, it's, it's of Paul Erdős. Um, I haven't yet. It's on my list of things to read. I, that's a good, it's a, it is a it's a, it's a, it's a short book. It's actually, the, strangely, that book is, it's the book I was reading while waiting for what turned, what, what was the date? My, the first date with what became my wife. So it's like that, that book has got like is cemented in my, the kind of my, my own personal life story. Yeah. That's I know, in a weird way. Yeah. It's seared, seared into your, your brain. I, I have books like that. Right. Exactly. Right. You've got books, right? But that is a, like literally the very first words my wife, my wife said to me was like, what are you reading? And I said, <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a, it's a biography. And I, I kind of showed her the title and I was only a couple pages into it. She's like, Oh, you must be Hungarian. And I'm like, you know, Paul Erdős? She's like, no, it just looks Hungarian. And it turns out <laughs> she's she's she does linguistics, so it's like that was actually. Um, anyway, there we go. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. You just, the the, the, the uh, digression is is nice. But um, another thing that he went into. So there's um, there's a teaching style that he had, and that was actually one of the things that I adopted when I was doing um, when, when I was a, when I was a GA as a as a master student when I was teaching college algebra to, to incoming freshmen. Um, is that you know he he was a very sort of Socratic instructor. He 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 pushed on his students to explore the subject themselves as as opposed to spoon food, uh, spoon feeding it to them. And um, I that's one of the things that I try to get into when I teach people about techno about technology and how to just, you know sort of like debug a core dump and, and things like that. It's like well no let's let's walk through this together and we'll you know we'll we'll figure this out right. And um, so he talks about that approach about that 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 pedagogical approach in the book. Yes yes he yeah, does. Yeah, that sounds really good. I, that that's definitely sounds like one to read. Another. Hey, Brian. Uh, sorry, uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Hackers by Stephen Levy earlier. I, I have uh, I've I've read that one too. Um, I have to say though, having having read the appendix about Richard Stallman, um, and just 
just how how extreme he was not only on free software but on on lack of passwords back in the day it it kind of left me with less uh less sympathy for 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 his position because it it just seemed like he was hanging on to the what stallman is toxic stallman is great toxicity and I had forgotten that Stallman was playing. I had to say whatever, and I have not read Hackers in 25 years. I should probably go back and reread it. What I get in my head is a very vivid description of the Sierra Online folks in their hot tub. It just feels like very on brand for Sierra Online, which is a games maker in the uh, Ken and Roberta. What was her last name? Williams. Williams. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I just visualized a hot tub. I had a hot tub that I have got no desire to be anywhere near. Um, I'm not setting my time machine to pick your hot tub. Um, But yeah, I forgot that there was a Stallman. The the audio book, an audio book of hackers came out like five or six years ago. I mean, it's, it's, it's not spectacular as audio books goes, but it still beats text to speech. So I took it. And so it, it, hackers is, Tom, I don't know if you've read hackers. It's very, it, like it goes into the homebrew computing club, I would say in in quite a bit of detail, if, if my memory serves. You know, I think hackers is also in the missing box. By the way, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I keep doing this. This, this is like, this is like this, such this, a treasure trove. Oh my god, this is what it's, this is what it's like to live with me. I'm so sorry. I'm really just dragging everyone in. It's like that's also in the box. What was the more no. recent book about uh, the mother of all demos and uh, the Silicon Valley scene? Yeah, um, there was the, the uh, but you mean about Engelbart? Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. It, it's by the same. I got it. I've got. It, I've got it here somewhere. Um, there's also where Wizards stayed up late, which I enjoyed. Adam, have you read that one? That's the, great book. Yeah, no, about the no, no. the internet. That's about the dawn of the internet and um the um the the IMS systems. Uh, actually, Dan, you know what? I because you referred me to a video that I watched. Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, you are. I was, I was going to mention that. It's called Computer Networks, uh, Heralds of Resource Sharing or something like that. Um, I, I think I responded to your tweet about this with a link to that. It's really fascinating. It's a half-hour video shot in 1971. Um, and it like the interview Bob Kahn and, and uh, JCR Linkletter and a bunch of other sort of early players in the ARPANET. It's a really fascinating video. Definitely worth a half hour. It is definitely worth a half hour. Yeah, it is definitely. That was a great recommendation. Adam, I don't know if you saw this. I, the, the, no. Dan had dropped it. I gave yeah, it yeah, a tweet or dropped it in the chat at some point. But the um, really, and really interesting, Dan, I thought, to get this vision for the future that was like pretty accurate on the bunch of things about like, you know, the ability to, to they're talking about plane reservations and talking about some of the things that would, that ultimately internetworking would, would facilitate. I thought that was a great video. Yeah, it is amazingly prescient. You know, 50 years into the future, they basically, or 50 years ago, I guess, they basically predicted the rise of cloud computing in a way that, you know, I don't think was so clearly delineated in any other contemporary source that I've seen. Uh, so another thing to go read, I know, I've, and I've been, this is on brand for me because I've been speaking about this a bunch, but the uh, Gordon Moore's 1965 paper, I mean, we obviously all know about Moore's Law, but that paper itself, I don't know the last time anyone's read it, that is an Redonkulous, off-the-chart future prediction that is just like must have seen out of his mind in 1965, where he basically predicts, 
everything from cellular communication to personal computers to I mean, it's just, uh, an amazing paper, not just for the the law, which is of course not even coined in the paper, but. Um, let me uh, let me interject again. So I was I was actually sent a DM about this. I didn't actually name the title of the book. <laughs> um, oh, so it, oh so, uh, yeah, okay. So it's 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 so it's his automathography um, titled "I Want to Be a Mathematician." Um, and again, sort of the accidental like chemical engineering to mathematics pipeline kind of thing. And um, it's written by him. Well, it, it, and Nathaniel, you said that this is the, the the most readable book by a mathematician, as opposed to like, was it a, a mathematician's apology or whatever? Which basically is just like, good lord, okay, like let's... yeah, there's 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 a, there's a sort there's a, there's like there's like a certain sort of self-aggrandizing that that a mathematician goes into, like they they want to talk about their their largest result or some or some not such nonsense, and it's like, no, I want to know sort of more about like how you came into mathematics and sort of how you view mathematics and and how you approach the subject, right? Yeah, and... I was. Uh... Leon, with the the author of the God Particle, talks about mathematics. He said that the, uh, physicists defer to mathematicians and mathematicians defer to God. But I've never met a mathematician that modest. Was his line from the God Particle? That <laughs> that's, was very funny. So, so that's that's actually sort of a, an apropos kind of kind of uh, I guess conceptualization of what a mathematician is. Like people think about it as like numbers and 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 things like this, and it's like no, nah, we we really sort of sit down and, and define things, and then we we have God tell us like what comes out of the things that we define. Um, no, and it's, it's, it's for turning coffee into theorems. Let's, yeah, that, that was, that's, a, that's, a, that's a famous line from Erdős, yeah. Um, and it's it's one of those things where, like, he also, he uh, Erdős also had this thing called The Book, capital B yes. Book. Yes. Oh, right? yes, The Book. Yeah, yeah, and and he's he's like... It, this, from this, the Supreme this, Fascist. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, in, in, in a sense, yes. No, no, that's what he called. So Erdős called God the supreme fascist. Yes, yes. And um, and the, the 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 book contained. The, oh, sorry, I mean, I short circuit. The book is the book of all proofs. Yes, and and that's one of those things where where like if you're a mathematician and you haven't gotten enough of the intuition, sort of to to divine these things, you haven't yet seen the book. Well, and in particular, also your proof may not be in the book. This is another thing important to know about about worldview is that. The book contains the most elegant proofs. Yeah. So your proof, and I, when, when I, I, with the the proof of Fermat's theorem came out, I remember thinking, not in the book. <laughs> that is, this is what this is what Eric is talking about. About this is you know a hundred and fifty page proof that you know only Andrew Wiles basically understands. Like this is this is what he means by not in the book. How did we not broach the subject when you were visiting in Atlanta when I was still working at CNN? Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. We, we managed to exactly we managed to avoid that one. We we, but... we totally we totally avoided this. Well, especially we... because I had a professor who I think at, did you have a Professor Hofstein as a math prof? Adam? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, for did... Uh, complex numbers. Yeah. Okay, and so in so that is good because have I told you my Hofstein story? Do you know? Uh, I remember it being unflattering, but I I think well, I, it, no, 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 it's well, not like, unflattering. That doesn't I, narrow I, I, down. I, yeah, no, I think he, this was a, actually, I honestly feel, that's the best best math prof I've ever had. Fight me. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> the, you know, he had an excitement wait, for wait, math. Wait, math profs teach classes? Well, well, exactly, well okay, look, it, 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 is, it is a little low bar. But so, he, uh, I took number theory from him, and he was a wildly, wildly enthusiastic number theory. He explained, and he would go on some, and maybe this is more on brand, Adam, but he would definitely go extemporaneously on. He would get, you know, he would uh, color things with his personal worldview on many things, which I, I liked. 
So in particular, we were talking about Maslow's theorem. He said that, um, well, first of all, he prided himself on number theory because it had no applicability. He's like, the beautiful thing about number theory is it can't be applied to anything, and that's what makes it beautiful. This is, of course, right before public key cryptography. So it's like right before number theory was ruined forever by public key cryptography. The, uh, but on Fermat's last theorem, he said you know, he, there is no proof for Fermat's last theorem. And indeed, if there is ever a proof for Fermat's last theorem, I will jump to my death from the sciences library. Wow. And this is like, I would say, classic Hofstein in that, like, just like some uh, like things that were, okay, you didn't have to say that, but okay, you did say that. That's interesting. Like, okay. That, that's, and that was in, I took a course from him in the spring of 1993, and Andrew Wiles' first proof comes out in the summer of 1993. And I'm like, has someone checked on Jeffrey Hofstein? <laughs> is this man alive? Did he, and I actually ran into him in the fall, and I'm like, how are we, like, I'm, didn't really know how to broach it, but like, how are, how are you? He's like, how are you taking the proof? How are you taking the proof? And he's like, that's not the proof. I, I, I there will be a flaw. And then he was right; there was a flaw. And then Andrew Wiles like locked. I mean, in, in what is to me one of the a, a singular human intellectual effort. Um, and as Simon Sings from Ma's Last Theorem. I'm trying to remember what they, I think that yeah, that's yeah, the, that's right. I read that one. Yeah, yeah. I like. I thought that was very good. I realized yeah. that I do not. I mean that. I don't understand anything about that person. <laughs> That's how I went from being a math major to being a CS major, personally. <laughs> That's right. Was, well, I remember thinking, I don't know, Ken who was talking, I was like, oh, I, I understand, like, you know, loosely how this is all put together. I think it was Bonwick, actually. I'm like, okay, can you explain modular forms to me? And, like, I just want to understand the modular forms bit. And Bonwick gets kind of, like, halfway into that and realizes that he is, like, no, we're not going to oh, explain yeah. this. I guess I can't. Exactly. I mean, the, yeah. <laughs> I guess I can't. Yeah. So I have never read The Elegant Universe by Brian Greene. No. But no. I ha have you ever seen Brian Greene speak, Adam? No. Oh, my God. He's such a good speaker. He's such a good speaker that I was there with my friend Tim, who actually mentioned in passing last time at a Berkeley lecture. Brian Greene speaks. Mesmerizing. I walk out of there being like, I can't believe it. I understand spring, th spring theory. And Tim's like, we understand string theory now. And we went to explain string theory to one another, who we had just seen a lecture on it and realized we do not understand string theory at all. That, that it all just fall apart in your hands. It absolutely fell apart in our hands. <laughs> I think that's a similar property what stand-up comics often have. Like, you try to recreate the joke that you heard, and it's just, and it's it just gone. It's just gone. Yeah, string theory, as it turns out, needs to be enjoyed uh, on stage. You, there you actually go. cannot, it's... apparently. At least by me. At least by without, me. The, without the show tunes, it's just no good. So is there the book for jokes? <laughs> That's right. That's the Erdish book. That's right. Okay. Okay. The, the, oh, the other thing I do have is just say about Erdish. So, you know, Erdish is, lives to 93, is on amphetamines, more or less his entire life. I mean, I certainly by the time he – and he's a child prodigy. He's, like, he's one of these rare, like, child prodigies that actually turns out to be, like, the real deal in adulthood. He's on amphetamines, never marries, has no familial obligations, and only does math his entire life. It is obviously exceedingly bright. And she's, like, clearly the most prolific mathematician. Do you know he's only the second most prolific mathematician? Leonard Euler, man. Hmm. That guy is such an OG. Is there a good biography <laughs> on Euler, by the way? I would love to read. I don't know if other people have. I would love to read a book on, on Euler. 
Aren't, well, you the, just got, aren't the Oilers the favorite in the Super Bowl? Ryan, so, you know, so Were you both trying to make an oil work at the same time? <laughs> I think so. No, I was I was saying that you already got me reading about modular forms, so my night shot. Thanks a lot. There might not be there might not be a biography, but there might be an oilogy. I mean, right. no, no, that's even worse. <laughs> that's even worse. And like, and you like really took your time on it, and like really walked this, us into it. This, I mean, you know, listen, what I was saying <laughs> was <laughs> okay. All right. Have you read Josh? Give us a book. Have you read? Turn, the, you must give us a book. Have you read Accidental Empire? The memoir. Accidental Empires by Robert X. Grinsley. I have, and it's a. Are you reading? Have you read it? Re- I've not read it recently. I read it. I think that's also in the box. I read it when I, I was. I read it when I was twelve. I think I want to say, and it was a big part of my <laughs> wanting to work on computers when I grew up. Was Robert Grin- X. Grinsley? You remember him, Tom? Is he still around? Was that a pseudonym? Is that a real person? First His of all? name is like Mark. A real name. Mark Stevens, I think, or something like that. It's a it's a pseudonym for, for his it is? column. I at, it was real name. No, it's it's a pseudonym for his column at, at I want to say Infoworld, but I, I I mean they aren't magazines anymore, so I don't, I don't. I think PC Magazine. PC Magazine. I want to say Tom. Do what you. I don't remember which magazine, but he was certainly all over the place in the eighties. But yeah, Josh, I read that, but I read that twenty five years ago. Yeah, so I, I mean, had no it's, idea. It's how a, just... It's definitely like uh, I haven't read it for years. Um, in the spirit of books I have not read for a long time and I'm rereading now uh, I'm reading Startup by Jerry Kaplan and it is terrific I'm really really enjoying it also one of our angel investors appears as kind of like a minor villain in it which I find very interesting (laughs) but uh, it is Tom this is on I don't know if you knew any of the Go folks this is uh, the the tablet folks Yeah, I know. Um, really interesting book, though. Did anybody mention Unix and Memoir, Brian Carnahan's new book? I, I haven't oh, read it. How is it, Dan? It's really good. It's really it's good. Really good. It's great. It's it's a little dry, but it's good. Josh has got. Josh, did, did you feel that he? They obviously gave short shrift to something that you loved doing. Was it TTYs? Uh. No, yeah. I just I remember I read it recently. It was it's good. It covers a lot of or stuff. Or was it excessive excessive praise of something you hate? <laughs> That's right. Listen, I you closer. Listen up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jeremy, I saw you hopping in there. Do you have a have a, a recommendation? Maybe kids still catching up to the present. I know this is one of the things of Twitter Spaces that's a little weird. Is the is the time shifting? No, I was. Uh, I had to walk over to the refrigerator, and the unmute button isn't uh, synced to the Bluetooth headset, and so maybe that's a, a feature for the future. Do, do you have a, a a book that you've uh, a book to recommend? Yeah, or- I want I want to read it again. Uh, it was actually my uh, uh, the the first time I saw startups. And so from Vancouver, uh, Douglas uh, uh, Copeland, uh, I guess 26 years ago, Microsurfs. Microsurfs. I, yeah, I, yeah. I know I'm on brand, but Classic. I'm certain that one's in the box. I know that one's in the fucking box. The, the, little, the little Lego dude on the cover. And it was, it's such a uh, – so it's, it's fiction, right? But very much it's fiction. the, the yeah. product of its time. And so it's like Comdex and Mac User Magazine and Silicon Graphics Workstations 
and um, calling, uh, you know, moving images on computers multimedia. That's a, a thing that you were still hiring people for. And yeah. I had grabbed it over the weekend and flipped it open. Somehow it came to the Microsoft and uh, Apple rundown. And somebody had written up on the whiteboard the differences between the two companies. Uh, Microsoft has better cafeteria. <clears throat> Apple has better nerd toys. Microsoft has Bill. Apple no longer has any equivalent because this is 95. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jobs has been for like 10 years. And so yeah. um, they think they're going to they think they're going to slap into the ground. Um, and I mean, even Microsoft was what? trading at a split adjusted like 60 cents a share. So like 50,000% back from where we are now. And it was, uh, yeah, like all the, all the pop culture references are really, uh, are really neat. The people feel very real because I guess he was at um, Wired Magazine and Wired Magazine was, I guess, two years old or so yeah. at that point. And this That's was right. back when it was like, heavy tech and I was a kid in the Midwest and reading it and loving it. And I mean, now I can't stand it. I open it up and it smells like, um, it smells like perfume ads because it's full of perfume ads <laughs> and it's lifestyle. It's like Jaguar cars and Rolex watches and Raytheon, um, putting right. advertisements in there for advanced warfighter solutions. And but back, but back 26 years ago or 28 uh, years oh, ago, God. Wired was magic. God, how representative is that of the fall though, Jeremy? That's oh, it's yes. like that's what we what we became is like Rolex perfume and like like Raytheon and no, Warfighter ads. It's like we dude, you got to write that down, man. That was a rant. Alright, <laughs> uh, so, so Jeremy, you read that as a kid. You read Microsoft. I loved Microsurfs, and I have actually been wanting to go reread it, but I have not read that since it came out. Is that when you? That's when you read it too. Yeah, yeah, and so um, like. It's sitting on the shelf, and then I was like, I thought, I was like, man, I remember liking that book, and I'm looking through it, and I was like, wow, so much is, yeah, like all these companies aren't a, so like fries, right? The, the the trip to fries is not a, is not a thing anymore. It's not a thing anymore. I know, and I am optimistic about that book holding up. I mean, Doug Copeland is obviously amazing. So Douglas Copeland coins Gen X in the book of the same name, and it, it is a great writer. Um. So I, yeah, I'm with you on that. That is a great recommendation. And again, one I'm very convinced is in the box. <laughs> just, just, hey guys, is it just I, any I book that you can't on... find is in the box? I mean, Erdos oh, any... had the book and Brian has the box. <laughs> That's, it's in the box. I'm just saying, and the box was hidden by one of my, not Supreme fascists, but one of my, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I found the title of the book I, I was struggling with. Uh, it's, what the Dormouse Said by John Markoff. And it's, right. it's all about the, the mother of all demos and Silicon Valley and the LSD scene and the Grateful Dead and Xerox Park and all this stuff happening at the same time in the same place. That, okay, yeah. I, and Markoff obviously is a longtime New York Times reporter. Um, yeah. That, that, yeah, that, um, so have you read that, Tom? You, or, yeah, that, that, really good. It was really good. good. That's, and Tom, did you read Dealers of Lightning? So that's another great one. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, it, yeah, it's a classic on on Xerox Park. There's um, a, uh, a new book out about the development of the Xerox Star, but it's uh, it's fictionalized. So all the characters are fictionalized, but it's got kind of the whole development process and, and a lot of the weird really stuff that get going on. You're reading a fictionalized development of the Xerox Star? The Did names have been changed to protect the guilty. Yeah, it's pretty strange. I don't know why he went to those lengths. Um, What's the book? That sounds great. I, I mean, mean get it, back here. 
Yeah. Um, Inventing the Future by Albert Corey. And Albert Corey is a pen name of whoever the guy was who was an actual engineer on the, on the project. Are they, are they deliberately... Why the fictionalized account, I wonder? It has some not flattering stuff, but it, it's mostly about the tension between the researchy architects in Palo Alto versus the actual engineers in El, El Segundo. And I think this guy was an engineer in El Segundo, so it's slanted that direction. Oh, interesting. On the, um, the was it the SRS side? Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? I've X, I, I think the... Do you mean the, SDS? Were, SDS, thank you. Systems. I knew I knew I was remembering that. Yes, thank you, Matt. SDS, right, scientific well, data systems, right? Well, and this, well it, it, it was long after that, but it was a few of those people left. But Xerox, Xerox sold that whole computer business, and then they got back into the business with the Xerox Star. I think it's interesting that they're fictionalizing it because I, I think that like once a, a a certain amount of time passes, we actually and we I have to say we we had a guest on on the metal who did ask us to go back and it's like hey could you change that particular anecdote about this particular company like sure we're happy to just like edit that out but like I don't think that that was like well I'm just worried that people are still going to be are going to have it's like wow okay that's a long time to have. I, I'm waiting for enough time to pass for the actual book on the, the eCash parody error from Sun. So, but I guess not, not, <laughs> not enough time has passed yet. Well, Brian, I don't, I don't know if you want to wrap it up, but I would thought I thought that one way to wrap it up might be: What's the book that you want to read? I know you mentioned a couple of. Is there a biography of this or that? But uh, what, what book do, do you want there to be out there? Or want to be uh, written, or want recommendations for in particular? Okay, so I am glad you asked. Um, the I did not put you up to this, no. you, sir. I've never, I, I, I've never, I, I've never seen you before in my life. The um, so I feel that I mean there are a bunch of technologies that I feel we don't have enough history on, um, and we don't we we lack authoritative biographies on. But I feel like the PCB is so important to everything that it, 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 it's just amazing how little. But I'm I'm looking for the definitive. Biography of the PCB, the printed because it's amazing. The printed circuit board, right? That's right. Because I remember as a kid marveling at it. That like, wow, it's like we're going to take this like image and we're going to kind of project it, and okay, and we're going to like, wow, that seems very that seems nuts, and it's still the more I feel I know about it, the more questions I have about, I mean, I think it's, it's a wildly creative. Have you ever made one by hand with, with a, with a master pen and an etching tank or. I've not, no, I would like to do that. I mean, I would be given my, um, you know, uh, some of my, as we know, I have injured myself in every conceivable way and several not conceivable ways. Copper etching is definitely a new way. Yeah, just do do it with a grown-up, Brian. (laughs) This is why why I ended up in software. It's why I ended up in software too, actually, because I actually. But the uh, so I'm the the, Adam. That's that. That would be my answer to the question. I would love a a a, a book on. But I really want to go to this book on Fairchild that Tom is recommending. I think that sounds good. How how about you? Is is there is there a a a book that you've been looking for? You know, this this is this is like sort of in almost in the bad blood vein, but. Um, there is an anecdote I've heard from like seven different people that 
feels like fodder for a book, which was in, uh, in the late nineties or early two thousands, there was a break in at VMware. And then a few years later, parallels came out and the folks at VMware found that their hypervisor was bug for bug compatible. And, you know, I think enough, you talk about time passing, like, you know, this, I think there was a case of industrial espionage, espionage, some like, uh, you know, the, the company was then acquired this Russian company, which came out with parallels was acquired. Um, I just feel like there's so much meat on the bone there. And, and I've heard sort of vignettes from lots of different folks about how VMware discussed it, but decides not to pursue this lawsuit because they were worried about Microsoft in the background and that focus. Anyway, that there's, there's just so much story there that I wish that, you know, journalism was in a state where it could go dig at that. I am biologically incapable from refraining the, from mentioning the Avanti and Cadence case. Do you remember this? No. So Avanti and Cadence, I mean, Cadence, obviously we know Cadence, and Avanti yeah. was, a, um, um, was a software company that competed with Cadence. And um, a, a guy had gone from Cadence um, to Avanti and apparently um, took a lot of software with him. Um, and when he was, ironically, when he was at Cadence, if I'm remembering the story correctly, when he was at Cadence, his mission was to kill Avanti, and he had this AK-47 program, which was like a like, violent metaphor. And one of the engineers working on this at Cadence recounted how he lined up 48 AK-47 shells, and which of and, and told him that this is what we're going to use on the enemy. The guy's like, this is like super oh violent and scary. But he counts the shells, and he's like, well, okay, wait a minute. There's like 48, not like 47. I mean, I'm kind of following you with the metaphor, but there are 48 shells here, not 47. Kind of one of those like Frankenstein monster, Frankenstein's monster moments from Silicon Valley. Like, oh, you're one of those guys. He's like, no, the 48 is you use on yourself if we don't succeed. It's like, oh, well, this is, this is uplifting. Oh, so so he, that guy leaves. He goes to Avanti, the company that he's going to kill. He actually takes the Cadence software with him. And then this is discovered when a Cadence engineer is on site with an Avanti customer and sees his own bug in Cadence software, in Avanti software. And then he, he's like, I fixed what well, this is very strange because they got the exact same bug. That we, and then he started looking for other bugs that he had had. And he found all the bugs that he had had in Cadence software that was actually in Avanti software. And the reason that you may have remembered this is a manager of ours, Barry Cooks, was going to be an alternate on a, a, for as a juror in this case. Wow, do you remember this? No, I don't. Oh no, this is like Barry is like I'm going to be away from work for seven months, oh, and, it, and and it was a huge issue with Sun because like Sun is like we are very accommodating on your need to serve for a, seven months. Whoa, okay, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, hey. uh, but the uh, talk about so I, I, I'm with you. A book on on parallels and or i think a, a history of industrial espionage in silicon valley would be really interesting yeah well you, you've heard about cisco and huawei right no no huawei got their whole start in the networking business and and they got their start with networking by just lifting the cisco code you know with no changes this is a book that needs to be written i think yeah. this is the one to read 
There were there were two guys at Bell Labs who tried to steal the Inferno operating system and the Pathstar access server and basically take it to China. And their goal was to become the Cisco of China. And they're both doing time in a federal penitentiary right now. This is the advantage of open source. So we don't have to worry about any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, please, like, uh, yeah, can you just put a star on our repo when you take they, it? They tried oh, to the steal end. Inferno, like the, the Plan 9 derivative thing? Well, yeah. So, so Lucent did this thing called the Pathstar Access Server, which was like a combination telephone switch and router, like IP router. It was a really weird box. And it ended up getting canceled. But it ran Inferno natively on the sort of control, you know, whatever, infrastructure on the backplane. And these guys were basically going to take the remnants of the Pathstar server. They were going to take all the IP and take it to China. And, you know, two, two dudes were, like, from China originally. And, uh, you know, they, they got, like, <laughs> they got wiretapped. And they were admitting to all of this crazy stuff. And basically the FBI came into Bell Labs one day and was like, all right, <laughs> like, who here worked on Inferno? And a bunch of people had. And they were like, all right, come into this room for interviews. And uh, yeah, it was an exciting story. All right. Well, I know we've gone over. I just clearly, uh, I think, Adam, we're going to maybe get to pick up this topic again. This is a, this is a fruitful one. This is a good one. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to uh, have anyone who, any books not mentioned, I know there are a lot. I'm going to find that goddamn box, I swear. <laughs> I, I, I cannot be, that box is just going to become like a metaphor if I don't actually find it. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you for, for the time, as always. Um, thank you for the reminders of some great books and some, and some prompts for some new ones. are going to be exciting to read.